Last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the subject of federal headship. That's nothing more than a fancy term to describe. Sometimes people represented us, and if they obey, we reap their blessings, and sometimes if they disobey, uh, we suffer some of the consequences of that uh, disobedience. And uh, I want to go off the rails just for about five minutes. Most of you are going to think Brother Dolph's getting Alzheimer's. He's flashing back to his time as being a math teacher. I've got an illustration I'm going to put in front of you simply to show you how important perspective is. Perspective, okay? So i got a question for you. Got a shape up there. That is a triangle. If I were to ask you what the definition of a triangle is, most of you would say a geometric figure with three sides, right? Would everybody guess? But I ask you, if that's the definition, why don't we call it a tri-side? Why do we call it a triangle? Because the ancient mathematicians, when they were embracing geometry, viewed everything from the perspective of angles, not sides. We in America, in our Western culture, look, tend to look at things from sides, Okay? Okay. Well, in a strange kind of a way, we in America tend to look at things from individualism as opposed to federal headship, which is the lesson all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Let me challenge you one more time. As you know, I was a high school math teacher for a while, and one of the subjects I used to teach was trigonometry. Trigonometry was a compound word. Tri meant three. Gon, G-O-N, meant angle. And metri was metrics. It meant measurements. So trigonometry was nothing more than three angle measurements. Okay? So if I asked you and I put a stop sign in front of you, and I said, what shape is that? You would all say, it's an octagon. And I'd say, why? Because it has eight sides. But what does the word gon mean? Angle, right? It's got eight angles. How about a pentagon? Well, it's got five sides. Well, then why don't we call it a pentaside? But it's a pentagon. Because we in our culture are so used to looking at things from the perspective of sides, we don't even see it. Got it? Okay, now here's the real one. This is the one I'm going to have some fun with you. I've got some numbers up here, and those are the numbers that were originally created by our ancient mathematicians. If you notice, those numbers don't have curves. They're all made up of line segments, except the number zero. Does anyone recognize where those things possibly came from? I'll give you a hint. What have I been talking to you with about for the last three minutes? Angles. What do you see now? Any aha moments? I see an aha moment right there. The one has one angle. The two has two angles. The three has three angles. The four has four angles, all the way up to nine. Isn't that something? Why is it I could talk to you about ancient mathematicians, the perspective of geometric figures, their definitions, and their words they use, and all of a sudden we go to numbers and angles go right out the head, and I say, let's look at the angles, and then we start getting it, right? That's what today's lesson is about federal headship. A lot of the blessings we get is because of someone else, and a lot of the 
sufferings and the consequence, negative consequences, is because of someone else. And that's what we're going to do when we're going to go forward. Okay. So with that being said, I want to look at a couple things today. <clears throat> Two Sundays ago, we looked at federal headship and myself trying to be cool like an ex-math teacher. I called it my bad. In other words, we just simply looked at times where either a father or a king or a representative disobeyed and it caused hardship on other people. And we spent a whole Sunday looking at hardships. And I left you down in the dumps. And then a week goes by, and last week I did right the opposite. I looked at examples where we had representatives, and sometimes they were kings, and sometimes they were fathers, and sometimes they were grandfathers, and, and, and sometimes they were mothers and wives. And they obeyed, and because of their obedience, other people got the blessings. Today I'm taking a step forward, and I want to look at people that had two federal heads. Simultaneous. Okay? So what happens when you have a grandfather that sins and causes a curse, and you have a father that obeys and causes a blessing? Who wins? Win's probably the wrong word. But let's, neither, okay, we'll see. We'll see. Sometimes we'll, we'll see. But ultimately, we are heading to Romans 5 and 1 Corinthians 15 because we have two federal heads. Sometimes they call it God's first son and God's second son. Sometimes they call it the first Adam, the second Adam. Sometimes we just call it Adam and Jesus Christ. They are our federal heads. We have two at the same time. Praise God. Which one do you think wins? Jesus wins, right? Amen. Okay, but that's where we're going. So I want to show you the principle about having two federal heads at the same time. First example, we can find in 2 Samuel 21. I've got it here. If you want to turn with me, that's okay. Ready? So let me start reading here in 2 Samuel 21. I'm going to start reading at verse 1. <clears throat> this is a story. This is an account we covered a couple weeks ago. <clears throat> then there was a famine in the days of David three years, year after year, and David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, It is for Saul and for his bloody house, because he slew the Gibeonites. Now Gideon's, I'm sorry, not Gideon, um, David's reign lasted about 40 years, and I'm figuring this is well into about the 20th something year, okay, give or take. Okay, so he's been king about 20 years, and all of a sudden things are going along, and he comes across this three-year famine. Okay, can you get the dust bowl, right? There's just, just no rain for three years and things are drying up and the crops are going away and things are parched. And finally, after three years, David says, Lord, what's going on? What have we done wrong? Please show it to us. And he says, it's because Saul, who was the prior king over 20 years ago, he broke a covenant. Okay. So let's go on there. It is for Saul and for his bloody house because he slew the Gibeonites. And the king called the Gibeonites and said unto them, Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. And the children of Israel had sworn unto them. And Saul sought to slay them in his zeal to the children of Israel and Judah. So what, let me go back into the time of when Joshua was going into the promised land and he claimed all the promised land. Yes? He was, 
expelling the bad guys. That's the best way I can put it. And there was this tribe of the Gideonites that were the bad guys. They weren't of Israel. And they cut a deal. And they made a, a contract with Joshua. And they said, listen, we have been watching you. We've been watching your God. And Jehovah God, that's too powerful for us. We don't want to fight against you because we know we can't stand it. So I'll tell you what, we will submit to you and we will become your servants. Just don't wipe us out. And Joshua said, okay. So for years, time's going by and the Gibeonites are faithfully serving Israel. They kept their word. And Joshua's long gone, and along comes Saul, and Saul's looking at these Gibeonites, and he says, they're not Israel, I'm going to, and he killed them. So he broke the covenant. Now, now, now think about this. Saul broke a covenant that Joshua made many, a couple centuries earlier. Time goes by, Saul's not even king anymore, and along comes David, and he's suffering the consequences of that broken covenant. So in a way, he's a federal head, but that's not what I'm bearing down on. So David says, okay, I understand what the problem is. What can I do about it? So he goes to the Gibeonites, and let's start reading right here. And we were reading now in verse 3, Wherefore David said unto the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? Wherewith shall I make the atonement, that ye may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And basically, I'm not going to read these, I'm going to paraphrase them, but verse 4 and 5, the Gibeonites said, you know what, we don't want money, we don't want gold, we don't want land, we don't even want our freedom. The only thing we want is we want you to take seven men from the house of Saul, and I want you to execute them. Seven men. For all the thousands Saul killed, that's what they want. Remember, our subject is dual headship. Let seven men of his sons be delivered unto us, and we will hang them up unto the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord did choose. And the king said, I will give them. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. This is an example of dual headship. Saul had six children. I believe he had four sons and two daughters. Now, there's some accounts they say he had six sons, but two were by concubines, so I'm not going to argue about that, okay? But he had six children. And the Gibeonites say, I want seven boys from these six children to be executed. And what David says is he says, okay, I will get you seven boys, but when I take them, I'm not going to take him from any of the six. There's one son named Jonathan, and his lineage, they're safe. The reason why they're safe? Because Jonathan was faithful and he was loyal. That's an example of dual headship, where grandpa committed a sin, and he exposed, he made those grandchildren susceptible to execution because of his sin. Federal headship in a negative way. But one generation down was Jonathan, and he committed a blessing, and his family was safe. Notice he didn't save all the nieces and nephews, all the nephews. He just saved the ones in his family. That's an example of dual headship. Everybody got that? Okay. So in this case, who won? Well, because of the sin, no one won because seven boys were dying. 
But in one sense, the, jo- the, the, the children, the lineage of Jonathan was saved because of his obedience. I hope this cause and effect makes sense because there's some doctrine coming up here in Romans 5 and 1 Corinthians 15. Now all of a sudden it'll make a whole lot of sense. Okay, let's go on to, let's look at another example. Okay, and there, there's all the family. I'm not going to do it there. Let's go to another case. This is in 1 Kings chapter 11. <clears throat> now, you, you know me. This is, this is my defense all the time. If I can't get you with the quality of preaching, I'm going to get you with the quantity of verses. I'm just going to use a lot of examples, and hopefully the examples preach the message so I don't have to. Okay? Here's another case of dual headship. Dual headship. But King Solomon loved many strange women. Got it? Together with the daughters of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Edomites and the Zedonites and the Hittites. So they say, including concubines, he had a thousand wives. All I can say is, what a crazy man. Okay? And he had all the drama that went with it. Okay? The Bible said one man, one woman. That was his design. Anyone that ever veered from that suffered incredible chaos. Between wives, between their children, it was just a mess every single time. But here we are, and, and Solomon did. And what happened was, is God warned him. He says, you know, you marry all these women that are from other and other faith, you're going to start following their gods. He says, no, I'm strong enough. I'm a strong enough God-fearing person. I won't do that. Of the nations concerning the, the Lord, which said unto Israel, ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you. For surely they will turn your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. So Solomon said he was too strong to have fall for this, but he fell for it. Okay. So I'm going to skip a couple verses. I'm coming down to verse 9 in the same chapter. I'm still in 1 Kings 11. And again, it's your duty as a member to go home and make sure I'm not leaving anything out. I want you to go read your Bibles. Read 3 through 8. I don't have time to cover them today. You go home and read them. Make sure I'm not spinning yarn. Yes? But I'm jumping down nine just to save time. If I don't, we'll never get to Romans 5. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord, exactly which was predicted in verse 2. God of Israel, which appeared unto him twice. And he commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. You know, the ultimate I told you so. Verse 11. (coughs) So here's the penalty. Wherefore, the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes. In other words, I'm the Lord thy God, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Which I commanded thee, I will surely rend, I'll take the kingdom away from thee, and I will give it to thy servant. Notwithstanding in the days, I will not do it for David thy father's sake, but I will rend it out of the hand of thy son. Let's stop right here. I'll read verse 13 in a second. Think about it this way. Solomon comes along and he breaks the commandment and he starts worshiping other gods. He sets up altars. He sets up statues. He's making sacrifices. And God says, you know what? I'm taking the kingdom away from you. But then God says, you know what? I'm not going to take it away from you. Your daddy, David, he was such a faithful man. He says, I'm going to bless you because you're your dad. But I'm going to take it away from your grandson. 
Do you understand how a federal headship was? This is a case where David's blessed Solomon, but Solomon cursed his son. It's still not a duel. Let's get down to that third generation. Howbeit, I will not rend away all the kingdom, but will give one tribe to thy son David, for, that, for, that, for David my servant's sake, and for Jerusalem's sake which I have chosen. He says, you know what, what the curse is? is you've got a grandson, and your grandson, uh, Re- oh, this is David's grandson, Rehoboam, was supposed to be the king over all of Israel. And the curse was, I'm going to take all away. Now again, we have, you, you think, but, but Brother Dolph, there was 12 tribes, right? Well, there was another tribe, and it was Levi, and Levi really didn't have a land. It was scattered throughout, so sometimes when we go 11 and 12, it, it gets a little confusing there, but it, God's word is true, and it's perfect, and it's pure. But we get to this point, and God says, I'm not going to take away all 11, even though that's what the curse should be. What I'm, I'm only going to take away 10 of them away. And your servant, I'm going to name it Jeroboam, will rule those. Rehoboam, I'm still going to let you have one. So my point is, Solomon got a curse where the kingdom was taken away. That's daddy. But in this case, grandpa was faithful, and he blessed him, so he still kept one kingdom. You got it? That's an example of dual headship. It's right the opposite of the one we just looked at. And the one we looked at before, grandpa messed up and dad was faithful. But in this particular one, grandpa was faithful and dad messed up. And again, I ask the question, who won? It depends which lineage you were from. The 10 tribes suffered, the one tribe was blessed. So it looks like, so far, the one under the blessing is enough to overcome the curses. Which leads us to the point, the one in Christ is enough to come overcome the curses. Are you with me so far? All right. I had to throw in one more, then we'll get to the New Testament. <clears throat> Dual headship. <clears throat> I want to go to Genesis 24. Here's a man, Isaac. And he had two federal heads. And you know what happened here? They were both positive. That's the best of both worlds. I want federal heads around me. I want them all positive. I pray my daddy, my granddaddy, my pastor, my, 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 my king, I pray they're all in God's will. And I pray God's blessings are just oozing all over me, even when I'm a knucklehead. Amen? Okay. And Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant in his house, the servant's name was Eli Ezer, that ruled over all that he had. Basically, he was a steward. Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto the son of the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son. So he goes to his faithful servant and he says, I want you to pick me out a daughter-in-law. Okay. Now, Lord blessed me with three sons. I don't know if they would trust me with that. But Isaac trusted his dad. And not only did he trust his dad, he trusted the servant of his dad. So notice what it says here. It says, 
in verse 12, this is the servant going out. Before he goes out and he's about to enter into this country where his, the Jews are, this is what he does. He prays a pray, prayer. And he said, O Lord God of Master of Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of the water, and the daughters of the men of the city come to draw water. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I say, Let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she shall say, Drink, I will give these camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed my servant Isaac, and thereby shall I know that thou showest kindness unto my master. (coughs) Think about this. This servant goes up to a watering hole and said, I don't know who this wife's going to be for Isaac. He said, I just want you to make it plain. Matter of fact, this is what I want. When I come up to the water and I say, give me a drink, she says, yeah, here's something to drink. And by the way, I'm going to fill up your camels. You find a woman that's willing to fill up a dozen camels, you got a good hardworking woman, okay? Takes a lot of water to fill up a camel. Got it? I know I'm being silly, but that's that's what's going on. And, and he's praying this. So Isaac has two federal heads. He got a father praying for a daughter-in-law and got a servant praying for the Abraham who wants a daughter-in-law. And God is going to bless both. I want to be covered by federal heads. Now that's not our case in terms of eternal salvation, but it certainly is the case in terms of practical things on her here on earth. You can be blessed by a faithful member in the church. You can be blessed by a faithful pastor. You can be blessed by a faithful deacon. We want to have solid men representing us in terms of prayers to God. Amen. Amen. I love the prayers of those I, you know, I need the prayers of those I love. That's what it is. Okay, so I, I had to throw that one in there. <clears throat> but I want to keep on going. Because if you ever heard of a Hollywood ending, this is the Hollywood ending. How do Hollywood endings work? You know, you see the man and the woman running through the field and they're running in slow motion and the music's playing and the fireworks are going off and then they grade. That's Isaac and Rebecca. That's exactly what happened. So she fills up all, here it is, verse 15. And it came to pass before he had done speak, before he finished his prayer, here comes this pretty woman. And she came out who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Amr's brother, with a pitcher upon her shoulder. And the damsel was very fair to look upon, a virgin. Neither had any man known her. And she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, let me, I pray thee, drink a little water. And the rest of the story says, she says, okay, here, take some water. And by the way, can I fill up your camels? And he goes, boom, there it is. If all our prayer requests were answered that obviously, right? Well, it takes two federal heads for that to happen. And then I'm going to skip all the way down to verse 64. Here's the movie ending, right? For Rebecca lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off her camel, and they frolicked through the field and through the flowers, and they run to each other, and they brace each other, and they get married, and Isaac loves her for the rest of his life. Isn't that a grand story? What did Isaac do? Nothing. Dad set it up. He was a federal head. The servant set it up, worked it, prayed for him, was a federal head. Man, that's the kind of blessings I want. 
Okay? We are too used to be looking at geometric figures from the perspective of sides. When the ancient mathematicians looked at geometric figures from the perspective of angles. We are too used to looking at our blessings of what we did. I'm smart enough to know that many times I'm getting blessings, and I know it's this lady here in the front row who's my prayer warrior. She's my representative. Do you understand? We need to surround ourselves with people like that in a practical sense. Okay, you ready to get to Romans 5? Let's go to Romans 5. This is where we've been heading for three weeks. We're finally here. We'd like to get down through all the way through verse 21, and I just want to slowly go through this passage verse by verse, and I'll try not to rush it. If we have to wait on 1 Corinthians 15, we can cover that at a late date. But here we go. <clears throat> Wherefore, as by one man sinnered entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Does anyone not want to know who that one man is? That one man is Adam. Right? When Adam died, he passed the death gene onto every single one of his descendants. Okay? Look at this, verse 13 and 14. For unto the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there was no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. You know what he's saying? He's saying, from the time Adam came into the world... To the time Moses wrote this Old Testament law, there was no law. But people were still dying. How could people die when death is the penalty for sin, but there was no sin because there was no law? The reason why? Federal headship. The reason why is when Adam sinned, he imparted death and that penalty to every one of his descendants, and that included all his descendants from him to the time Moses came. There's no way around it. That's what that's saying. Death came by Adam. It was by federal headship. It was not breaking the law because there was no law during that period of time. Okay? Even over them that had not sinned, after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him to come. So let's go to the next passage, and I'm going to read verse 15. <clears throat> okay? But not as the offense, so also is the gift. For if the offense of one, that's God's first son, Adam, be many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace, which is of one man, and we don't have to guess on this one because they tell us, Jesus Christ hath abounded unto many. We've got to start thinking federal headship. There's something that Adam did that caused death, and there's something that Jesus did that caused life. There we go. Verse 16. But not as it was by the one who sinned, Adam, the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is many offenses under justification. So, Adam sinned, and he caused condemnation. Jesus obeyed, and it caused justification. Now, justification is one of those justification, one of those five-syllable words that get us in a lot of troubles, right? We'll go back there, and we'll talk about it. It's so, it's so hard 
to talk about a subject like this because that subject of justification, if you would go back and read Romans, there is a four-chapter discussion of justifications in Romans 2, 3, 4, and 5. And all of a sudden, we're jumping in on chapter 5. In order to really understand that, you've got to go back and read all four chapters. Okay? And we'd be happy to do that. But here we are right there, and basically we're finding out justification comes by Jesus Christ. Okay? 17. For as by one man's offense, death reigned by one. Who's that? Our first federal head, God's first son, the first Adam. Much more, they which received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life. So by the first one came death, the second one came life. You got it? So, Brother Allen, I asked you, which one? The one that says much more, right? Much more. Jesus is one. Okay, let's keep on going. Let's keep on going. Verse 18, here's this federal headship rolling all the way through this chapter. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift, came upon all men justification. There it is. 19. For as one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Adam condemned all his family, and Jesus blessed all his family. Just like Saul and Jonathan. 20 and 21. Moreover, the law entered, and the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, Grace, here's much more again. Grace did much more abound. Who won? Jesus won. Amen? And as death has reigned unto death, I'm sorry, and as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life. So one caused death and one caused eternal life. You know what? That's reason for shouting, isn't it? That's reason for thanksgiving. Okay, let's look at a parallel passage in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15, I'm going to start at verse 21. There's another section of about six, ver- six or eight verses that describe the same thing. Remember, God said, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses shall everything be established. He doesn't let anything hang in. He always gives it to us at least twice. <clears throat> for since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. Anyone want to guess those, who those two men are? The first man is God's first son. The second man is God's second son. The first one is the first Adam. It's called the second Adam. Regular old Adam and Jesus Christ. Okay? 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. All of people in Adam, all of Adam's family will die. All the people in Christ shall live. Amen? But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. Man, this is, this is what next Sunday is all about. The world is going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ next Sunday. And what this is saying is Adam died and he became dust and he went back to the earth. Jesus Christ is coming back 
and he's going to take the dust and he's going to turn it back into a body. And he was the first that came out of the grave and became everlasting. That's, what we're, that's our federal head. And he's coming back to get everyone that are his. Verse 48. This is 1 Corinthians 15. I'm jumping all the way down to verse 48. I skipped about a dozen and a half verses. I'm leaving it to you to go read all those. Okay? As is the earthy, such are they also earthy. That's kind of figurative language. That's Adam. And as in the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. Who's that? That's Jesus. Verse 49. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. When Christ comes back, we get to put off this old shell. The one that's getting grayer, right? The one that when you get out of bed in your 60s, and so you got to stretch your muscles before you can stand all the way straight. Verse 50. Now this I say, the flesh and blood cannot inherit to the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. 53. For this incorruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. That's done through Jesus Christ, our federal head. It's good news. It's something to look forward to. This is what Jesus did. So sin, so when this this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. In other words, when Christ returns, the law, sin, death, and the grave will have been defeated. That's what Jesus Christ accomplished in his obedience and his death, burial, and resurrection. And that's what we're waiting for. And one more. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our second federal head, Jesus Christ, reversed every negative consequence of our first federal head, Adam. Adam. Now, there's a lot more we can go into and try to explain, but I'm going to hold off. This was a lot to digest. But my whole point in trying to express this series of three Sundays, I just want us to understand that a lot of what we experience may not be our fault, but at the same time, a lot of what we experience may not be our credit, to our credit. And if we can just simply become aware of that, especially in eternal sense, and we find out what Christ really did accomplish on the cross. Do you realize when we sing the song, it is finished, we really realize what he did finish? Instead of just kind of doing a step one or making the down payment, he did more than he finished all of it. And we're thankful for that federal head.